She just tossed me a softball, y'all. <clears throat> good morning, everyone. It's good to see you in the house of the Lord today. If you are new here to New Life Midtown, if you have not been to one of our New Life Next guest luncheons, I want to personally invite you to join us next week. In fact, if you're here today and you're saying, man, I really like this place, or I want to know more about this place, or I want to have a free lunch, uh, just raise your hand and our ushers will put an invite card in your hand today if you want to join us for New Life Next guest luncheon next week. Is that anybody in the house? Nobody wants to come to New Life Next. One person right here. Thank you, Liz. Thank you. Right here, right here, ushers. Thank you so much. Right here, Rocky, right here in the front, up here in the front. I appreciate you guys. Taking the card does not commit you to come to the lunch, but it just says that you might be interested to learn more about New Life Midtown. Thank you, Rob, in the back. We have one more here in the front. All right, guys, keep those hands up real high until Nusher puts one in your hand right there in the back corner. Thomas, thank you. Fantastic. I knew there was more than one new person here in the house today. Seth asked everybody to raise their hands who was new and like half the, half the church raised their hands. So I hope to see you guys next week. It's going to be right after service. It's going to be one hour. There will be childcare. There will be a meal. And we're going to walk you through the history of New Life Midtown. We're going to walk you through some of our core essentials, some of the things that we hold dear and true about this house. And then practically, we'll talk with you about ways that you can get involved if you're interested in getting more connected here in our amazing, wonderful church. By the way, this church has been here in this city for over 25 years, you guys, if not longer. It's probably been longer than that. And uh, I just, I love Colorado Springs. It's a miracle that I can say that. When I first moved here, first three years were very, very challenging. And uh, my wife and I were just ready to get out. And now we're ready to be buried here in Colorado Springs. And we believe that God is doing something really, really special. And he's doing something fresh. Everybody say fresh. I think he's doing something fresh in this house. I think he's doing something fresh in all of our eight congregations at New Life. And he's doing something fresh in Colorado Springs. And I just want to tell you, I want to be a part of it. I want to get in on what God's doing here in our city, and I'm happy to do it with you guys. So may the Lord bless you. Thanks for being here. Joy, it's good to see you. Yeah, I love just, I love seeing certain people in the congregation, and guys, God bless you. I want you to turn to somebody and say, may the peace of the Lord be with you. Anybody? Mm. And friends, wherever you are right now, I just speak over you today. May the peace of the Lord be with you. May God's peace be upon you. May the Lord's peace be within you. And may be it nearer to you than you've ever experienced it thus far. Uh, sometimes before I come into a Sunday morning service, I just sit there and say, Lord, just soak me in the peace of God. Amen. Before I launch out into my day, I have no idea what chaos or frenzy are going to fill my day. Sometimes I just sit quietly in the presence of the Lord and say, God, soak me in the peace of God. And you guys are called to be carriers of peace. And in order to do that, you have to receive peace in order for you to give peace. So may the peace of God be within you and be upon you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you hear with us last week, Sarah Kinnearum just absolutely slayed that message. Give her another hand today. Where's Sarah at today? Where is she? There she is right there. Oh my goodness, you guys, I'm going to have to up my preaching game. I've got Jonathan, I've got Sarah, man, the bar is being raised so high. Sarah, you did an absolutely phenomenal job. And then she leads worship. What is, what is going on? Too many talents, too many talents in one human being. Sarah, thank you so much for your ministry. I had men and women come up to me last week saying, can we have her more often? I'm like, absolutely we can. 
But guys, I believe that we broke something loose in the spirit when we preached on women in ministry a few months ago. And I can just tell you that in 2023 and beyond, as long as I'm the lead pastor here at Midtown, we're just going to be having more female voices, more female gifts, more female anointings pouring into the house. And I had this thought last week as I was sitting there just devouring her message with notes. And the thought to me was, my God, the body of Christ has been missing out on so much by not opening the door to female ministers pouring into the house. We have not been the better for it. We have been the worse because of it. And I'm ready to turn that corner. And Sarah, thank you. I'm ready to get Christy up in here. We got some, we, we got some other amazing female ministers in New Life that I want to introduce you to. So guys, thank you for being a great house. Thank you for pulling on Sarah's anointing last week. I ain't going to lie, I was a little jealous. I was like, how come y'all ain't, y'all ain't cheer me on like that? How come, how come y'all ain't talk to me like that? So I'm going to have to like study her little tools and techniques. And no, It's just called anointing, y'all. It's just straight up anointing. Well, like Denise said, we're one week into our annual 21-day fast. Um, Wednesday night, I ran into one of the Midtown guys here, and I said, how's it going? He says, man, the fast is killing me. And I was like, it's doing its job. It's working. The fast is working, which is amazing. I'm telling you guys, uh, when we choose to cut things away uh, because Jesus is our greater reward, I believe he becomes our greater reward. And we set three targets last week that God would sanctify our appetites, that he would intensify our affection, and that he would multiply our affliction. And what that very simply means is that we would choose weakness in order that we could choose the strength of God in our lives. So on whatever level you're choosing to participate with this fast, stay in the spirit of the fast, all right? No fasting Nazis are allowed around here. We're not comparing ourselves one to another. We're staying in the spirit of saying, God, you're our greater reward. We're choosing to say no to the lesser things so we can say yes to the rich reward of who Jesus is in our lives. And I believe as a result of that, the water level is going to rise in this house. It's going to rise in your lives. It's going to rise in your home. It's going to rise in your schools because God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And fasting and prayer is one of the ways that we diligently seek God. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, we're starting a new series today. Everybody excited about our new series? We're going to be talking about the Sermon on the Mount from now until Palm Sunday. So we're going to spend about 12 weeks walking slowly through Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And for those of you who are semi-familiar with the scripture, you know that Matthew 5, 6, and 7, what we have classically and traditionally called the Sermon on the Mount is one of the hallmark teaching moments of Jesus's ministry. So I'm going to pray. You can turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 4, and then we're going to launch into our new series today. Jesus, we love you. Go ahead and tell them you love them, church. We love you. We love you so much. Lord, our hearts burn for you. Lord, I'm asking today that by the spirit of the living God that you would reveal Jesus to us that you would not reveal the voice of a preacher, that you would not reveal, Lord, a cool church. You would reveal Jesus to us, Holy Spirit. Lord, that deep in our spirit, man, we would say, ah, you are worth it. You are worth it all. You are the treasure of our lives. Give us fresh eyes to see Jesus in a new way. Let our hearts hunger and thirst for Jesus. Let your kingdom come and your will be done in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
Well, I didn't plan this, but our Advent scriptures this year found ourselves located in Matthew's story of the birth of Jesus. And Matthew is up to something. For those of you who are familiar with the way the gospel writers work, each of these gospel writers actually has an agenda. Matthew has an agenda, Mark has an agenda, Luke has an agenda, John has an agenda, because each of those gospel writers are writing to a unique target audience. Matthew's agenda is to prove to the Jews that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. And one of the ways that we know that is because more than any of the other gospels, Matthew has this unique phrase that says, this happened so that it would be fulfilled so that the prophet Isaiah would be fulfilled, so that Micah would be fulfilled. So he's constantly pointing his audience back to the Old Testament prophets and the law, and he's showing his audience, the Jews, that Jesus is, in fact, the long-awaited Messiah. And if you look through Matthew chapter 1 through Matthew chapter 4, just a very quick overview, Matthew chapter 1, we get... Jesus' family tree. Matthew chapter 2, we find Jesus' miraculous birth. Matthew chapter 3, we find the baptism of Jesus. And then Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is launched and thrust into his public ministry, beginning with his temptation in the wilderness as a result of him fasting 40 days and 40 nights. Matthew is establishing Jesus as the Messiah. And in these four chapters, there's two ways that he does that. Number one, Matthew is establishing that Jesus is the Messiah who fulfills God's ancient and promised purposes. There are seven times in these four chapters that Matthew uses the phrase, this happened to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet. We find it in Matthew chapter one, that the prophet announced that Jesus would be born of a virgin. Matthew chapter 2, we find that it's fulfilled that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. We find it fulfilled that Jesus has to escape to Egypt. We find it fulfilled that Jesus would live in the region of Nazareth. On and on and on it goes. Jesus is pointing back to the Old Testament to say, this is the one who we've been waiting for. The other way that we find that Matthew is proving that Jesus is the Messiah is that he's showing that Jesus is the new Moses, and he's teaching the new law to the new people of God. And we find that Matthew is doing some real subtle wordplay, and he's doing some real subtle trickery here when he's teeing up Jesus's ministry on the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, if you have your Bibles, if you would look very quickly with me at Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, and we're going to read all the way into chapter 5, verse 1. Matthew 4.23, it says, Jesus went throughout Galilee. He was teaching in their synagogues. He was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and he was healing every disease and illness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and he healed them. Somebody should say amen to that. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. And his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. So in Matthew chapter 1, verse, chapter one through chapter 4, 
we also find, in addition to Matthew demonstrating that Jesus is the Messiah by way of all of these prophetic fulfillments, he's also showing us that the life of Jesus is paralleling the life of Moses. And this is pretty fascinating when you think about the fact that both of them had dreams connected to their births. Both of them were born under the oppression of a madman, a crazy king. Both of them miraculously escaped the slaughter of every male child under the year of two years old. Both of them had to flee their land, and both of them returned later at God's direction. Both of them experienced temptation in the wilderness. Both of them fasted 40 days and nights on a mountain of revelation. Both of them go up to a mountain to receive and then deliver revelation of God's law to the people. Matthew, is he knows what he's doing here, you guys. Because when Luke is laying out Jesus' genealogy, and when Luke is laying out Jesus' birth story, he's not using all of these figures. He's not using all of these parallel moments from the life of Moses. What Matthew is trying to establish is, is that Jesus is the new Moses coming to deliver his people once and for all. And in the same way that Moses goes up to the mountain to receive the law and the revelation from God, and then Moses sits down, which in rabbinic literature is the, the, the posture of the lawgiver, Jesus goes up on the mountain and he receives fresh revelation of the kingdom of God, and the scripture says he sits down. And in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, what he's about to do is he's about to interpret the spirit of the law to reveal the nature and the life of the kingdom, to reveal who the Father is, the spirit and the heart and the character of who the Father is by now reinterpreting the law that the people of Israel have sat under for centuries. Jesus is the new Moses. He has come to establish a new people by teaching the law. Another one of the ways that Matthew establishes the Messiahship of Jesus is through Jesus's threefold ministry. What you find here is that Jesus reveals his kingdom through his threefold ministry. And what is that threefold ministry? The NIV says it like this in Matthew 4.23, that Jesus came teaching, proclaiming the good news, and healing. And what I'd like to do just for just easy semantics is I want to say that Jesus' kingdom is proclaimed or Jesus' kingdom is revealed through Jesus' threefold ministry, which is very simply this. Preaching, say preaching. preaching. Teaching, say teaching. teaching. And healing. healing. This is Jesus' threefold ministry of the kingdom. And this is actually a really fun word study. If you look up each of those words throughout the entire book of Matthew, what you'll find almost is this cycle whereby Jesus comes on the scene. He's preaching the kingdom. He's announcing that the kingdom of God has come. He teaches the revelation of what the kingdom is, and then he demonstrates the kingdom through delivering people from demonic spirits and healing. The scripture says every disease and sickness among the people. So think about the logic here. Jesus shows up and he says, guys, a new era of history has begun. The kingdom of God is here. Satan is no longer the ruler of this world. I am stepping in. I am breaking in. And the kingdom of God is invading the world through my presence. Even as I stand here, something is happening. Jesus is announcing that everywhere that he goes. And then he begins to tell people what the kingdom is about. 
The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like, is like wheat. The kingdom of God, he's constantly trying to help people understand, oh, this is what the kingdom of God is. And then he says, let me now demonstrate the kingdom for you. Look with me, if you would, at Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. We're just going to look at one of the iterations of the cycle before we jump into some of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, we find that Jesus, after he comes out of the wilderness, and the power of God, Luke tells us that he comes out of the wilderness, and the power of God, Jesus now begins to preach. He's establishing his public ministry, and it says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Other translations say, repent, for the kingdom of God is here. Jesus is the fullness of the kingdom, church. Jesus is the full embodiment of the kingdom. When you're praying, Lord, let your kingdom come, what you're saying is, is that Jesus, everything that you are, everything that you value, everything that you prioritize, everything that you believe in, everything that you hold to be true, we want that to be our reality. If you're ever fuzzy on what the kingdom of God is, let me just tell you right now, look at Jesus and that's the kingdom of God. Like in, in, in church Christendom, we've gotten off a little bit by actually turning the kingdom into us. By actually saying that, you know, we, we co-opt kingdom into our own political agendas. God will always stand above your political agenda. Because God's kingdom reigns above every political agenda on the planet. He's not taking the side of one political party or the other. But like the angel of the Lord that shows up to Joshua, when Joshua says, whose side are you on? He says, listen, Jack, you got this all wrong. He's like, whose side are you on? Because my side is always my side. I'm not on your side. I'm not on their side. You need to figure out this day whether or not you're on my side. Because the kingdom of God always stands above and beyond and transcendent above every human agenda on the planet. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is here. And then after he does that, if you know Matthew chapter 4 at all, you'll know that right after he announces that, what does he do? He begins to go and call disciples to follow him into this new way of life. The kingdom of God is here. I am here. Now come follow me. And then we find in Matthew chapter 4 verse 23 that Jesus fleshes out what this kingdom is by these three kingdom objectives. The kingdom of God is about proclaiming good news. The kingdom of God is about confronting the powers of darkness with the reality of the announcement that Jesus is now Lord over all. It belongs to him, Satan. It doesn't belong to you. You can't have my family. You can't have my finances. You can't have my children. You can't have my marriage. You can't have my purity. You can't have my sexuality. Why? Because the kingdom of God is here. Because I belong to the kingdom. Because I serve the king. Because I'm a loyal subject to King Jesus. Because he's Lord over it all. And every other power that steps in to assume that authority is illegally assuming that power. And it's trespassing. And it must be evicted by the authority and by the power of God. The kingdom of God is here in Jesus' name. And then Jesus begins to tell everybody, well, now i got to teach you what this kingdom is about. So then in Matthew chapter 4, he announces the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 5 through 7, he teaches his disciples what the kingdom of God is about. Blessed are the 
poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the... So for the next 12 weeks, we're going to be discipled in the way of the kingdom. We're going to learn afresh and anew. We're going to be reoriented to the king through his teaching about the kingdom of God. So when we say that Jesus is the Messiah, very simply we're saying that he is the king of the kingdom of all of the kingdoms of the world. Now here's what I love. We said in Matthew chapter 4 verse 23 that Jesus has a a threefold ministry. He comes preaching. He comes teaching. And then he comes healing. And this isn't the thrust of my message, but I want to hit this because I've been feeling all week long in my spirit that today is going to be a day where we're going to lay hands on the sick and we're going to believe that a manifestation of the kingdom of God is going to come to physical bodies and minds and spirits and emotions and relationships today. I want to put that seed of faith in you. I want you to come to the altars if you need healing in your body. If you know someone that needs healing in your body, I want to inject faith in you today to believe that the same Jesus who went around laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover then is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he will heal you today. In fact, here's, here's, this, here's this bracket here. Matthew 4.23, Jesus goes about all of Judea and Samaria. He's preaching, he's teaching, he's healing. 5 through 7, he teaches. Look what happens in 8 through 9, chapter 8 through 9. This is absolutely amazing. In the beginning of chapter 8, we find that Jesus heals a man with leprosy. After that, he heals a Roman centurion's servant. Matthew chapter 8, verses 14 through 15, he goes to Peter's house, heals his mother-in-law. Matthew chapter 8, verse 16, the scripture tells us that many who were demon-possessed and all who were ill, Jesus healed them. Matthew 8, 17, Matthew again is quoting an Old Testament prophet, and he says this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities, and he bore our suffering. Matthew chapter 8 ends with him healing two demon-possessed men. Matthew chapter 9 begins with him healing a paralyzed man. Matthew chapter 9 goes on with him healing a woman with the issue of blood and then raising a little girl from the dead. And then Matthew chapter 9 ends with him healing two blind men and a mute man. This is not coincidental. Chapter 4, he's announcing the kingdom. 5 through 7, he's teaching the kingdom. 8 through 9, he's demonstrating the kingdom. And then look how he closes this in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus went throughout all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Now, that sounds really familiar. Where did we read that? We read that in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. Matthias, can you go back to Matthew 4, verse 23? Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Say every disease. disease. Now, that almost sounds word for word. It's because it is. Look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Chapter 9, verse 35. Look at this. Jesus went throughout all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Word for word. What is Matthew doing? He's bookending this strategically as an author to tell a story and to make a point. The kingdom of God is here. I want you to understand the kingdom. Come be discipled in my way. And just so you know that I'm legit, I'm going to heal every disease and sickness, and I'm going to cast out every devil that comes my way. 
That's how Jesus, that's how Matthew is demonstrating that Jesus is, in fact, the king of the kingdom. So when we say kingdom, what do we mean? Very, very simply, when we talk about the kingdom of God, we mean it is the place where God's rule and reign are embraced. Here's another way of saying this. The kingdom of God is the place and the people where the good and wise leadership of God is embraced. That's the kingdom of God. So every time you you choose the way of God, you are inviting the kingdom of God into your life. Every time, like Denise said, you step out in faith and you take God at his word, the kingdom of God is coming into that moment, that place right there. Every time you take the word of God and you proclaim the word of God by faith and you do it accurately by the leadership of the spirit, the kingdom of God is coming into that place. Every time you choose to forgive someone of their offenses, the kingdom of God is coming into that place. Every time you say, God, have mercy on me, for I'm a sinner, the kingdom of God is coming. The rule and the leadership of God is coming into that place. Guys, you can be in a place where the spirit of God, the presence of God, the power of God, the anointing of God are prevalent, powerful, and strong, and the kingdom of God not touch you. Why? Because it's all about hunger and humility saying, God, I want your government. I want your leadership. I want your wisdom. You know what's right. I don't know what's right. I want your leadership in my life. And friends, listen, we've got to be careful today. We've got to be careful today because there's, there's so much entrenchment with the spirit of this age. Yeah. And I'm just here to tell you right now that the kingdom of God will always stand diametrically opposed to the kingdom of this world. Yeah. And the spirit of this age is so subtle and twisted and deceptive and the enemy is a master. But I'm here to tell you right now that the spirit of the kingdom of God stands opposed. It's different. It is a different kingdom. It is a different kingdom. When Jesus comes proclaiming the kingdom, he's coming to reveal to us the character and the heart and the nature of the Father. And so I'm going to do something that seems a little counterintuitive. Because in a series where we're beginning on the Sermon on the Mount, we would assume that let's let's start in the Beatitudes, right? You, You would think that. But we're actually going to start at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And by the way, if, if you're lacking a direction in your Bible reading time over the next 12 weeks, just read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 over and over and over again every single day for the next 12 weeks. It'll change your life. It'll change your life. Matthew chapter 7, turn with me, if you would, to verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine... This is actually one of the first messages I preached as a boy at 16 years old. It stood up in front of my youth group. I preached Matthew chapter 7, 24 through 27. What I did not know then was that when Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine, he was speaking specifically about the words that he was preaching in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. This isn't generic. So some people out there have this theory that when Jesus is talking about the Sermon on the Mount, it's so lofty, it's so ideal, it's so pristine, it's so perfect that there's no way that any of us can measure up to it. So really, the Sermon on the Mount is speaking to the end of the age when we're all living in our resurrected bodies. But when I look at Matthew 7, verse 24, when Jesus says, anyone who hears, say it with me, these words, 
these words. So Jesus expects us by the grace of God and by the power of the Spirit to live into the spirit of the Sermon on the Mount. Do you understand what I just said there? Jesus expects us to obey this. And you know what? It is impossible to obey without the Spirit of God. It is impossible to obey this without the power of God and the grace of God and the invitation of God. Jesus isn't about binding us and bounding us by the law. The Sermon on the Mount is about getting us into the spirit, the inner logic, the inner wisdom, the secret thoughts of God about what is undergirding every single one of the things that he's laid out in the law since the day he gave it on Mount Sinai to Moses. This is incredible. Jesus is standing up there saying, guys, there are things that have been happening in the inner working of the law of God that now I'm going to reveal to you. The secrets of the kingdom are reserved for you, and we get to glean from that. Matthew 7, verse 24, then, he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise person who built his or her house on the rock. And the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. Friends, y'all need to know that Seth and I really could do better at our communication because I should have told him what I was preaching about, but the same spirit of God that is in me is in Seth who led Seth to lay out songs in our song list on, I will build my life. And Jesus, you're a sure foundation. I just just sat there going, did did Seth know that I was going to end on Matthew chapter 7, 24, where we break down for everybody that the wise person is the one who builds their life on the rock. How do you build your house on the rock? How do you build your life? How do you build your marriage? How do you build your finances? How do you build your faith? How do you build your physical health? How do you build your hope on something that is endurable, something that is indestructible? How do you do that? You build it by choosing to trust that Jesus is trustworthy. You build your life on a sure foundation by saying, Jesus, you're the leader of my life. You're you're the one whose kingdom is the one I want to live in and live under and live with and live through and live around. And I want your kingdom to so permeate my life, oh God. That's how you build your life on the rock. That's how you build your life on the rock. There's giving principles in the scripture that will break the pattern of debt in your life and build your financial future on the rock. There's principles in the scripture of God that lead us to Jesus that will then, no matter what's happening around you, look at the scripture. When the rains came, when the winds blew, when the waves crashed and beat against that house. Listen, life is hard. And until Jesus comes and restores everything to the new heavens and the new earth, we are still fighting against the consequences of sin and handing over this world to Satan. We're still fighting against a diseased world of sin. And the world is against you. But Jesus says this. He says, you can build your life on an enduring, indestructible foundation, which means that no matter what's coming against you, you will not fall if you build your life on who Christ is. Let's keep reading here. Verse 25, rain came, streams rose, winds blew, beat against that house, yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. Verse 26, but everyone who hears these words of mine 
and does not put them into practice, who disregards them, who rebels, who treats them passively, who's indifferent. Yeah, maybe I will, maybe I won't. That's fine, that's fine. That's up to you. Jesus is not begging us to be obedient. Jesus is not pleading with us, please, please, trust what I have to say. It's going to work out good for you. I'm reminded of Proverbs chapter 8. Wisdom stands at the corner of the streets and calls out, and all who are wise will hear, and that they will follow in the ways of wisdom. And then wisdom calls out, and the simple-minded and the ignorant and the fool will disregard wisdom. And the scripture says that their lives will fall into calamity, and wisdom will sit back and say, I told you. Listen when I am speaking. That's the spirit of wisdom. That's what Jesus is saying here at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. He's saying, you guys, listen, I want your lives to flourish. I want your lives to flourish. I want you to be strong in the spirit. I want you to be able to stand up and overcome the power of the enemy. I want you to live prosperous and and successful lives in me, but the only way that it can happen is by obedience to me. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish person who built their house on the sand, earth, world, ways of this world. Verse 27, the rain came, streams rose, winds blew, beat against that house, and it fell. Both houses had opposition. Both houses had adversity. One stood, one fell. You don't have to live long in the Christian life to look around you and see people who started the race well and they didn't make it. Why is that? Because at some point we stopped trusting in our obedience to God. We stopped trusting to build our life. We're going to build our life our way. And Matthew is very, very strategic here, guys. He's trying... And I believe by the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, he's trying to convince us. Number one, Jesus is worth listening to. You can trust him and you should trust him. So before we even get into, because we're guys, listen, we're going to hit some hard territory in the next 12 weeks. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Y'all don't want to hear that. Blessed are those who mourn. Listen, that's not just about being sad because things didn't go your way. That's about entering into the spirit of lament, y'all. We don't want to hear that, right? Blessed are those who hunger. Blessed are those who cut away trivial things out of their lives so that their appetites for God can be sanctified and clean. These things run counter to our flesh, but Jesus says this is the way of the kingdom. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who are peacemakers, who step into conflict and humble themselves and forgive and say, I'm sorry, so that the kingdom of God can come into that space. This is the kingdom of God. And this is what Jesus says. Listen, guys, if you'll fight for this, If you'll lean into this, if you'll believe for this, if you'll trust me in this, I promise you, I'm going to build your life on the rock. And when it comes at you and when it comes after you, it may hit you, but you are not going to fall. The culture of the kingdom reflects the character and the heart of the king. God's kingdom comes to the earth through God's people as it grows in God's people. So how does the kingdom of God come to your workplace as it grows in you? How does the kingdom of God come to your family, moms and dads, as it grows in you? How does the kingdom of God come to your school as it takes root in you? 
And here's what we find. And Seth, you can come on up. Here's what we find. Here's what we discover. That God's kingdom comes to humility. God brings his kingdom where he finds humility. Right? He's attracted to hunger and he's attracted to humility. So God brings his kingdom to humility. But watch this. God builds his kingdom through obedience. God brings his kingdom to humility. Do you know all you need in order for the kingdom of God to come to your life is to say, God, I need your kingdom. I need you. I'm desperate for you. I don't want to do this my way. Lord, I'm disoriented. I lay down my education. I lay down my, my brilliant thoughts. I don't want to be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. God, I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Teach me your kingdom. You know what he does? He goes, oh my gosh, I'm a sucker for humility. I'm a sucker for hunger. Hunger is the economy of the kingdom. God draws near when we say, God, we need you. Help me. Help me. Teach me. Train me. Govern my life. Set up boundaries in my life. Show me the way to go. God says, you got it, dude. I'm coming to you. Right? When the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Thank you, Antonio Banderas and Zorro. Right? When the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Hunger is the economy of the kingdom. God brings his kingdom to humility. But how does he build it? He builds it through obedience. Right? Brick by brick by brick by brick by brick. Every time you obey, you're building the kingdom of God in your life. In the secret places where you're dying to yourself and you're choosing humility and you're choosing to trust God and you're choosing obedience, here's what's happening. Every time you obey, the foundation of your life in the kingdom of God is getting stronger and stronger and more stable and more secure and more steadfast. And I prophesy over your life today, you will not fall. You will not be shaken. You will not falter. Your faith in God will stand strong. Come on, stand with me to your feet this morning as we come to the table of the Lord. Hallelujah. God has given us a way to stand in the midst of the brokenness and the adversity and the pain of life. It's called trust and obedience to the Lordship of Jesus. Seth, would you, would you just lead us maybe in that chorus before I invite everybody to the table, build my life? Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder. Show me who you are and your heart and lead me in your love to those singing holy there is no one like you there is none beside you open up my eyes in wonder show me who you are and your heart and lead me in your love to those around. Seth, I will build my life. I will build my life.
we will not be shaken. Oh, I will build, build my life upon your love. It is a firm, firm foundation, and I will put my trust in you alone. Thank you, Friends, listen, I I would be remiss right now if I didn't give somebody an opportunity to choose Jesus and to choose obedience to him and to invite his lordship into your life for the very first time. And maybe it's not somebody in this room. Maybe it's one of you watching online right now. And maybe you're watching online today. Maybe you're watching online months away from when this service is happening. And I'm just here to announce to you today the kingdom of God, a life of flourishing, a life of purpose, a life of obedience is available to every single one of us. No matter what you've done, no matter how many times you've turned your back out on God, no matter how sinful your life has been, how rebellious, how broken, God specializes in putting broken lives together. He comes to humility. Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So here's what I'm going to invite you to do with me. I'm going to invite all of us to pray this together. Dear Jesus, forgive me. I have sinned. I have violated your will. Help me. Save me. I believe you are the son of God. You died for me. You rose again. Now fill me with your spirit and make me alive in Jesus' name. Friends, that's a simple prayer. You can pray that over and over again. But here's the heart of this, right? When we recognize that we have violated God's will, we violated his word, we have sinned against him, but in his mercy, he came after us in Jesus. And what we're about to do right now is we're about to be reminded that the only way we can gather here, we can hear his word, we can believe in his truth, we can live victorious, obedient lives is by the fact that Jesus, God himself, the son of God, became flesh, died, a sinless life was put upon a cross. He took upon himself all of the sins of humanity, past, present, and future killed and destroyed the power of sin, destroyed the power of the enemy when he rose again from the dead. And now he says, hey, you can be my sons and daughters. I want to put my spirit inside of you. I want to walk in intimacy with you. I want to empower you to live good, holy, clean, powerful lives in me. And I want us to build my kingdom in this earth together. And the way we do that is by saying yes to the lordship and the leadership of Jesus. Friends, if you did that today for the first time, or maybe you slid away and you said that again today and you just renewed your dedication to God, man, come up here and let one of these altar ministers minister to you. Come share that good news with me because we're going to have baptisms in about 12 weeks and we want you to be baptized if you haven't been baptized before. Friends, the table of the Lord is open for you. We celebrate the good work of Jesus because his kingdom has come. He teaches us the way of his kingdom, and he demonstrates and manifests the reality and the power of his kingdom by healing disease and sickness and by casting out demonic oppression in our lives. So let's celebrate as we come to the table together.